Okay, we're back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Justin and Ailish. And we've got our mon- or Monday. Doesn't even feel like a Monday. We got our Wednesday guest, 7 a.m., none other than Jeff Merrick, host of The Jeff Merrick Show and co-host of 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Good morning, Merrick. Good morning. Can I throw one more name at you guys that I uh, uh, that I that I love tossing around these days? Some of U18 course. team, Kate, Caitlin Kramer. Okay. Please have some love for Caitlin Kramer. Who uh, I knew you'd I know, have something. Uh, well, I mean, everyone went crazy for uh, Lopezanova, and she was like outstanding. And mm-hmm. she's 14 years old, and she's sick. But kind of buried in all that U18 women's talk was a great performance by Caitlin Kramer, who, as much as we talk about. Marie-Philippe Plant is the GOAT now, and Sarah Filier is on the horizon. The one after Filier is probably going to be Caitlin Kramer. So I just hey, It's good to have a wave coming, right? There, for, there is a wave coming. You know this one, Ailish. There is a wave coming. We do. Um, let's let's touch quickly just on the, the wrap-up the trade deadline because we didn't get a chance to talk to you since. Um, sure. Was there a trade that didn't happen that we'll be dreaming about for years to come? Timo Meyer, uh, Elliot talked about this on on Saturday. Timo Meyer and the Edmonton Oilers. Um, we all know like there was like, there were a lot of teams that were in Carolina. Certainly, most notably, I think they were kind of miffed um, that they uh, they didn't end up with the uh, with the player New Jersey ended up with them. A lot of teams uh, certainly inquired and kicked tires and made you know various you know offers either reported or otherwise. But I thought Edmonton was I thought Edmonton would have been an interesting play because Edmonton's play would have essentially been. Bring them in and we'll deal with the cap ramifications afterwards. Or maybe bring them in, have a hot run with Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, etc. And then maybe, just maybe, you can move them for even more than you uh, uh, than you use to trade for them in the first place. Could have actually been a profitable deal both on and off the ice for the Edmonton Oilers. Or if you decide to keep them, then the questions get really interesting uh, around the Edmonton Oilers. Like I'm, I think I've mentioned this to you before. I think... Um, Every general manager in the NHL has an obligation when their careers are done and all the players that they're talking about have moved on and are out of the game to describe what happened while they were GMs, what happened to the game, and not just what happened, but what didn't happen, the alternative universe of the NHL, that universe where you know Joe Thornton was traded for Roberto Luongo when one was playing on Florida and one was playing on Boston, these types of things that is sort of catnip that fuels a lot of you know interest and speculation around the industry because GMs are the one, it's the one area in hockey where nobody writes books. Coaches do, referees do, players do fans do like everybody except the people that actually call the shots and make the decisions and you know that's why i've always applauded you know people like brian burke gord stelic wrote a book as well people like that who are managers sat in that chair and wrote books and documented it i think the industry as a whole we always talk about good of the game good of the game i think for the good of hockey history i think more managers at the end of their career need to to come clean on what actually happened yeah you insiders don't get to shut the brains off right after because some of the best stories happen (laughs) after the deadline where you figure out what might have happened or what could have happened instead uh timo meyer goes to the new jersey devils and that's like an we have an we had an interesting conversation with bryce salvador yesterday and like it was immediately painted kind of negatively with us because tavares is out and o'reilly's out and it looks like the leafs you know best laid plans we'll see and the devils kind of they don't have to worry about anything everything water off the back they get timo meyer things are exciting they got all their prospects still like being a devils fan the innocence right now 
I, t- I was thinking more about like what's the best time to be a fan. Surely it's when your team's going on a Stanley Cup run. That's the best time. But the second yes. best right now might be what's going on with the Devils, where it's kind of a free roll at the table. Everything's gravy. You're adding. You're not subtracting. And really, there's no real pressure. That's such a good point, Justin. When your hope starts to get legitimized, right? Like, what, what's the old saying in sports? You can sell either wins or hope. Those are the two things you can sell as an organization. And when that hope starts to get legitimized, and Maple Leafs fans went through that, and now they're back to the anxious, nervous, <laughs> which is a common state, I guess, for, for Maple Leafs fans in a lot of ways. But I, I think you're right. When they... When that team sort of starts to transition to becoming a playoff squad and you can start to see what the landscape is going to look like a few years out and it looks good for you because all the heavy lifting that was done by scouts and managers and um, people in, on the uh, on the development staff are starting to pay off now, that's where you're at with the New Jersey Devils. And more so, more so, you're in a position to make a move for Timo Meyer. Like when you're, when, Timo Meyer is the kind of player, we used to always say this about Phil Kessel in Toronto and why it, it really didn't work is because Phil Kessel should have been that last piece that you bring in when a team is good, not the, not the starting piece. Um, Timo Meyer is kind of that guy as well. That's an indication that your team is that one piece away, that you're that close and you just needed that one player to put you over the top. That's where New Jersey is at right now. You know, need some size, need some strength, need that power forward. It's maybe the only thing your team doesn't have so yeah if you're a new jersey new jersey devils fan you're feeling real good about your team and more so maybe considering what's happening to the rangers right now you might be feeling pretty good about the opening round too yeah i think they should be i mean they look really good last night they definitely look like a team that can be an absolute annoyance if like at the very minimum like push the Rangers to their limits, be very, very annoying, take a piece out of them. But I, I think they could, you know, they could come out of the Metropolitan Division. I certainly would not be surprised. Yes. Uh, John Tavares. Devils play, De- Devils play just one thing. Devil, Devils play so quick. Like they're one of my favorite, honestly, they're one of my favorite teams to watch. And it is such a treat to see that logo and those jerseys and those hockey pants and those socks and those helmets on a quick, speedy team. Not the one that we were used to from a previous generation where... All the hockey players had bungee cords attached to them. If they got too deep in the offensive zone, they got pulled back by Jacques Lemaire. Yeah, I'm like rubbing my eyes. I can't really figure out exactly what I'm <laughs> what I'm looking at, but I, I do like it. I have to admit, I do like it. Uh, John Tavares, we heard his comments yesterday. Mm. We played them in the 6 a.m. hour, trying to make sense of them. We talked to, to Josh Cloak yesterday. He brought up the, the phrase healthy scratch, and it, it kind of stunned us because we weren't really thinking about it that way. I'm not sure they're thinking about it that way either, but they're being very cryptic about what exactly is going on. Do you have any sense of what, what happened here, whether it's just honestly one person one player the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs not feeling great and just taking the steps to make sure that he is feeling great when it matters the most I think what you're going to see with a lot of teams is a lot more things like this where first of all nobody in hockey wants to talk about things like load management because we've seen what it's done to basketball and I think that in a lot of like first of all we've talked about this before 82 games is long man like it's a it's it's a real grind, and I know players pride themselves on you know things like Ironman streaks and showing up for work every day and and getting in there. And I honestly I, I I think that when it comes to a player like John Tavares, if you're the Maple Leafs, you consider their spot right now. I think this is probably and again probably just a situation where the player didn't feel 100, percent and there's no problem sitting him down for a game 
Yeah, I and think I, you're I, right about I, that. I, 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 I go the path of least resistance on this one. I don't want to go tinfoil on it as tempting <laughs> as it might be and as fun as it might be and as much as it may, might mm-hmm. make for uh, for better sports talk radio. I, I just can't bring myself there. I think this is just simple. He didn't feel great, and they said, John, have the day off. That's good. Keep him fresh for when it matters. But big game Saturday night, uh, we'll be checking on uh, how an actually a couple days of rest look for him. A um, couple more to get to you here Tony D'Angelo yeah. last night, that spear oh, was God. absolutely oh, disgusting. Honestly, it, it was awful to watch. Uh, wondering what you think uh, most likely, possibly, will be some of the results from that. And just like it it looked really intentional and horrible. I just, I don't remember something that bad in a while. It was. Mm-hmm. Like, it, not that, like, that, like, not to, to like, it, it, it was awful. Like, he went into the scrum and jabbed at the part of Corey Perry that is most a man. Like seriously, like I don't, I don't know how else we can, mm-hmm. how else we can look at this. Like it's blatant. Um, I think part of it too is it's Tony D'Angelo. So a, yeah. I don't think anyone should be surprised. But put it this way: the Philadelphia Flyers have had an awful season, and there's going to be, you know, sea change coming to the Philadelphia Flyers at the end of the season. Certainly with the players. Um, and I, I think there's going to be some, you know, depending on, you know, what happens <clears throat> at the general manager level, I think it might be um, <clears throat> even more player change than people expect or people suspect. Um, it's been an awful season. There was that game was it last week where the Rangers were in town and I've never seen, like I've seen Rangers fans travel before, seen them play the Islanders, Rangers fans were there, they erupt. Uh, Just mentioned the New New Jersey Devils, we've seen them at the Prudential Center and they travel in a pack. The one thing we've never seen is that many Rangers fans at a Philadelphia Flyers game. And after they scored that goal to win the game and the pop in that building from Rangers Mm. fans is something I never thought I would ever hear or see in my life. Like that building, like the Flyers build, like the Wells Fargo does not get invaded. It does Mm. not. And there it was. Like at every step it's been, oh, there's a rake. Let me step on it. There's (laughs) another rake. Let me step on it. Oh, here's a rake over here we missed. Let me step on that one too. And then... And then there was the Provorov thing with the Pride Night, mm-hmm. which was just an, another awful moment for the Philadelphia Flyers. It has been an entire season of this. And if I'm Flyers management, if I'm a Flyers fan, if I'm – I know that John Tortorella will always defer to try to def- defend players. But how do you not look at that and say, really, at the season that we've just had, now we've got to deal with this BS from Tony D'Angelo? Like, it's ugly. It's disgusting. Like, I, I hate that. Like, we saw this on the weekend with um with Barkoff on Latang. You know, I always, you know, sort of jokingly refer to it as the cowbell. You mm. know, that stick stick up between the legs and, and you know, catches the, um, uh, <laughs> catches the player <laughs> underneath the cup. Like, mm-hmm. I hate it. Like, I think there should be a special, uh, two things. I think it should be a special place in hell for people <laughs> to do it. And two, a special penalty for it that's not two minutes for slashing. That's right. Um, I don't know. It's it's Tony D'Angelo. It's disgusting. And only Tony D'Angelo with a with a move like that 
could make Corey Perry a sympathetic figure. Like when's the last time you you felt sorry for it's Corey true, Perry? Actually. But there it was. But there it was. I felt bad for Corey Perry. Oh boy. Um, not to end on another poor note, but the just to get your thoughts on the Minnesota Wild, um, who were supposed to wear pride jerseys and decided organizationally, possibly if it was organizationally, to dis, to not wear them in warmups, um, even though they have some other pride initiatives that they are doing. Just like maybe the decision process, how it gets from top to bottom, and the players um, their role in this as well. This is going to get worse, too, when Bill Haslam takes over the National Predators as owner because as governor, he shut down a lot of LGBTQ um, uh, initiatives and things like same-sex marriage and came out voting uh, opposed to it. So Mm -hmm. this is something that the NHL is going to have a look at. And I think that every team... Uh, every team needs to have uh, an internal conversation about it because this has gone horribly awry, whether it's the Philadelphia Flyers, whether it's uh, the New York Rangers, whether um, it's, you know, with the with the Minnesota Wild here. The messaging is this. We would like you to wear this as an indication that no matter who you are, we accept you here as fans. That's what this messaging is is um and i think that needs to be made clear to to all the players um players have no problem um donning military jerseys for military appreciation night i Mm -hmm. understand that and and support it as well same as initiatives like pride night all this is indicating is whether or not you agree or disagree with with how these people live their lives which is still to me baffling but some people still believe this all this is an indication of is here in this rink watching this game supporting this team we respect your right to be here that's all that this says i think every team needs to have uh, a strong internal conversation i think the league has a big problem on their hands here with this one as well. Um, And I think every team needs to have these types of conversations with their players. Like, I'm not a huge person that wants to force people into doing something they don't want to do because who likes that? But this, this initiative at its heart is simply saying, we respect you here and here you are safe to watch a hockey game. We want you here. I don't know what the problem is with that. I mean, well put. I'm sure you're going to have more on it uh, today. You got lots of breakdown, regardless, with uh, the Tony D'Angelo, the Pride stuff. Maybe expansion coming. I don't know. I'm not going to get into it with you right now. But there's eyeball <laughs> emojis everywhere. Whispers. Whispers. There's eyeball emojis and whispers. Okay. And those are as long you know as they ha- are they justified. Is, Just uh, should there be eyeball they emojis? Are. Okay. Oh, I like they that. Are, they what should a tease. be eyeball. I don't. I don't know when, but there okay. is. There is some smoke to this. Okay, it's, that's what it's I want to hear. Conversation, but you're not off base. Okay, Jeff, you're, you're not. But the thing is, the more the, here's the interesting thing about it: the more you talk about it, the more people start calling with. Well, here's what else I hear. Well, here's <laughs> you might be involved. It's like, hmm, this is this went this this got big pretty fast. All right, with a lot of people that I didn't think knew something mm, actually know something about this. <laughs> okay, well that's a good tease to listen to we'll Jeff see. Merrick later. Uh, Jeff Merrick Show Coast Thirty Thoughts a Podcast. I appreciate you coming on this morning. Breaking it all down. We'll chat with you soon. Ailish, Justin, be good. Go, Caitlin Kramer. That's right. That's uh, his first overall draft in our uh, women's iconic sports Canadian Mount Rushmore. Uh, Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show, co-host of 2000 Podcast. Lots to break down there from 
bad to worse. Yeah, and potential, I guess, with the expansion thing. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm like fully on board. So you want to break down like what we were hearing, or or just read the rumblings? Well, I, Jeff talked about it um, on his show yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe we should have prioritized it with him because it's very, very interesting. But like Atlanta, Kansas City, all these names coming up, and it's not just like one or two. We heard like potentially. Four cities being brought up. I don't know what that actually means. I don't know how into the weeds we are with this yet. But bring back the thrashers. If Merrick is talking about it, and other people want to talk about it, smoke. There's fire. It makes sense. Uh, And you know what makes the most sense? The money aspect Mm -hmm. of it. Look how successful these other expansions have been. Five hundred mil for Vegas. Mm Six hundred, I believe it was for Seattle. Like, how do you want to treat the owners? How do you want to make sure that their pockets are lined? How do you want the the game to get more financially stable? I guess adding more teams can only help with that. I do worry about diluting the product. I don't know how you can't be. There are a lot of good hockey players coming up, though. Maybe this league is is strong enough that it can support or the, the state of the game is strong enough where it can support this. I do wonder about going a little bit too far, though. We don't need a 40-team NHL. Yeah, yeah you're right. We're at 32. It's perfectly 33 symmetrical. 33 thoughts a podcast sounds n- less of a ring to it. it can't be just 33. We'd be 34. Then you'd have to get to 35 at that point. Then you might as well go to 40. So it's the ball is rolling quickly. It's Yeah, I, I, don't, know, I don't know how I feel about it yet. I probably have to unpack my thoughts a little bit. Depends on the jerseys, we the didn't color get, schemes. We didn't get to fully unpack the expansion conversation. I also wanted to ask Jeff about, I heard on the broadcast last night, you know, the mm-hmm. other guys, Talking about Lindy Ruff was added to the Snapchat converse, the Snapchat group on the, the Devils. Team this Snapchat is, group. This is an older gentleman, right? This is a guy who's been around. He's very old school. He's one of the guys you wouldn't think would be even in charge of a team like the Devils who play the way the Devils do. What did Jeff call it? Bungee cords? He's a bungee cord guy or was a bungee cord guy. Mm-hmm. And now not only is he surprising us with his tactics, he's now Snapchatting with the team with the youths, I got to ask you. I wanted to set it up to you. Like, I don't know the situations with your coaches back in the day. I don't know what the Dartmouth coach. I don't know who coached you at Dartmouth. Mark Kudak. Would, would you guys be at, like, including a... Former U.S. military secret service Would he be in the Snapchat leader. group? I don't, I don't think so. He the way, was the, the most, you're looking like, at me, no. actually makes me laugh out loud to think of him even knowing what Snapchat is. Maybe a little is. dynamic, too, with a women's team. I don't know if, yeah, like, true. a little, I was little in, different. I lived in the height of Snapchat, which is now not... We're, we're past that I actually, phase. It's not. It's not because the use that I... The, the How rare, many youths do rare, you know? The, the family members that I have that are still in the youth department, still they're Snapchat? all Snapchat. Yeah, well, I, I, I certainly don't. But I lived in the prime Snapchat era where it became, you had groups, you just sent everything. And I was in university, so think about the things that you're sending, you know, your buddy. Snapchat can get a little dicey. It gets dicey. dicey. And there's so many reasons why you wouldn't want to have your head coach in your Snapchat group on a Saturday night after a big win and you're headed to the frat, Theta Delta Chi. Mm-hmm. You're not putting Mark Hudak, U.S. No. military secret service man, in your Snapchat group. Probably I'll was, tell you that He for was free. probably in the Snapchat group monitoring things without you knowing oh it if he's secret God. service. Yeah, yikes. But that is, that's weird. That is, that's spooky stuff. I don't like that. 
They must have two. Like they one, have to have one. Where one's like, like the Finsta. No, one is like the them, Finsta like, coach foam one. Foam rolling. Here I am with my protein <laughs> shake, yeah. taking an ice bath, getting to bed at 8 p.m. Here's my here's my here's setup. Here's our one glass of wine at no, dinner on the road. Even. No, no serious stuff. And only then the greens. real Snapchat is like the devils. Jack Hughes is 21. <laughs> He's still a kid. He's still doing Snapchat things. Oh, it's so weird. I don't like it at all. Um, you know what? You could Snapchat. Is you at Sam Hunt at Budweiser Stage this July 16th as a part of his On the Outskirts Tour with special guests Brett Young and Lily Rose. We're giving away tickets all week long. To enter, all you need to do is tune into the Fan Morning Show this week. Listen for the daily code word. Today's code word is speakers. Text speakers to 59590 for your chance to win. We're giving away another pair of tickets tomorrow. And if you don't win with us, make sure you secure your tickets by going to Ticketmaster.ca starting Friday at 10 a.m. Speakers, 59590. Bud Stage, July 16th, Sam Hunt and special guests. Love it. Speakers, you Sam get, Hunt. You get that Snapchat story going where you got to click, 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 click to get through like a 45-minute video. It would be worth it for Sam Hunt. No, there's no. I mean, Sam Hunt, yes, for sure. But in general, an average concert, there is no worse you can't social have more media than play three of those little than dashes. the twenty concert things no, that no, no one no. else can appreciate. But the and person it sounds terrible. Actually, holding all you up hear their is phone. your voice. It's brutal. It's it's horrible. All right, Monica McNutt joins us on the other side of the break. We we chatted with her yesterday, ESPN basketball analyst. She's on the NBA countdown panel for tonight's Raptors Clippers game, and the second straight year, the ESPN is doing their International Women's Day broadcast, a full slate of women led broadcasters on that lots to look forward to this evening and we tee up raps clips with monica on the other side of the break everything you need to know about the blue jays blair and barker be sure to subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts all right we're back on the fan morning show sports at 590 thin this is speakers is it very intimate beginning of that song. Hold your loved ones. The, lighter, to Sam the Hunt. lighters will be yeah, this, up in the air. This is someone's definitely making July out 16th. at Bud stage. To yeah, this Bud one. stage. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, hopefully get your uh, hands on some tickets there. We'll be giving away all week. Um, we got a chance yesterday to talk to Monica McNutt tonight. It's a big night uh, for NBA ESPN's broadcast, Raptors Clippers in action tonight. Uh, Kawhi Watch, we're back on it. Um, 10 p.m. tip-off on the West Coast. We chatted about that and more with Monica yesterday afternoon. Second straight year that ESPN celebrating International Women's Day with women's-led broadcast slates, um, all-female crew. Um, obviously, for myself especially, it's really exciting to see that and to to be able to talk to you as a part of it. But for you, how, how special and important are days like this in terms of getting just eyeballs on what women in media can be and will strive to be moving forward? Wow, they are. It's really special. Um I mean, so many of these women I know personally and I knew from covering women's basketball or followed them covering men's basketball for years, and so they're well-established, right? Like, Becky Hammond's going to be in studio with us and then call them the Clippers-Raptors excuse me, game. <laughs> um, she's an OG. Like, I remember her with the New York Liberty and her WNBA career. I mean, obviously, Doris Burke is, is well-established. I mean, Shania Gumake, who I have the opportunity to be in studio with, one on every level in terms of her college success and her WNBA success. And I think sometimes, at least I've learned in the past couple of years as I've been rolling with ESPN, 
folks turn on the TV and the Twitter fingers get going, who is this lady, right? And so now we have an opportunity to answer those questions with depth and really show off why so many of us are qualified to be in this space. And so it's really cool. I think it's a really special visual and opportunity for young boys and young girls, right? Like the generations coming behind us have such a wider peer view in terms of what people, gender not being a qualifier, can do. And so I think it's really cool that we're doing this again. In terms of the, the front-facing media, it's it's great to see you guys represented on in front of the camera, of course, because that's where the eyeballs are. But in working with ESPN and working covering both women's and men's basketball, have you been able to see more women behind the scenes, whether that's in um, team organizational stats, um, working you know in media as writers, just not even just those that are in front of the camera, but just more women being involved in the game um, across all formats? I absolutely have, Alish, and I am thrilled about that, right? Like, this broadcast in particular will have female director, producer, camerawoman, all the whole bit, right? But even in my opportunities to cover this league and get to know staff members and not just players, I mean, Morgan Cato with the Phoenix Suns is, like, the first person that comes to mind. She's so well-respected um, when she was with the league, and now she's obviously on the team side, and she's just such a forward thinker in terms of how women can help one another, and so... This past summer at Summer League, I had an opportunity to kick in with the women in operations of the NBA. That's an incredible group of women that have won on different levels and have studied their craft. And then, of course, I mean, Morgan, Teresa Weatherspoon, Swing Cash, Ashley Battle, Allison Feaster. Like, there's so many women that have helped welcome me into the WNBA space, or excuse me, in the NBA space, and they are crushing it in their roles that folks might not know about if you just turned on a game to check it out. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking to you just a day or two after uh, the WNBA pre-sale for the tickets here in Toronto for May 13th game. Basically sold out in uh, less than 45 minutes. There's an appetite here north of the border to have a WNBA team in the city of Toronto. Do you think that we're on the cusp maybe of that happening? I don't know how you define cusp, my friend. (laughs) I think there's um, interest and obviously the ticket sales generate that, but I think while the league will expand, there is a little bit of pushback that you want to be competitive top to bottom before you start sparsing talent more. Um, and now I think I would love to see the CBA raise the salary cap so that more young women can stay on teams, particularly coming out of the collegiate curve, and that we can expand. I think it's going to happen. I'm not 100% sure that it's imminent, but I do think it's going to happen. Okay, well, at least hopefully you get an opportunity to come up and see that game, which will be exciting uh, just a month and a bit away. So let us know if you're you're en route. We'll we'll hook you up. Um, All right, we'll we'll move to some. We'll shift to some NBA here. I know you're always tweeting a lot about those Knicks. Um, For us, we have a special love for Bing Bong. It's a long story, but we use it in our (laughs) daily morning show. I gotta ask: Are people still Bing Bong, or are we still holding on to something that doesn't exist anymore? Bing Bong died as soon as the run ended last season, and um, it became mainstream. I messed up and said it on a Knicks broadcast, actually, and fans were tweeting me like, no, man, don't say that anymore. And I'm so glad because I thought that was a great rallying cry. Oh, that's too bad. Um, I mean, it, meant, it it was fun. It was fun to have it up, you know, north of the border. It just came into, I don't even know how we started doing it, but we were joking around with it, but it, it became fun. Um, but let's talk about that that team in general. Um, you know, they've, they've 
they've certainly had their ups and downs this season. You're covering them, you know, quite, quite intently. Uh, where are the Knicks at, especially past this trade deadline? I think they're in great position, honestly. And I will admit, I did not see this much from this team earlier in the season. Prior to the turn of the calendar year, they really were not getting what they needed from their bench. I was concerned about minutes and usage for Julius Randle and Jalen Brunson and sustainability. But ironically, the injury to Mitchell Robinson, I think, forced Coach Thibodeau to go to his bench in a way that he might not have otherwise. And Isaiah Hartenstein and some of those guys really proved themselves. And so now they are now part of the rotation. You add Josh Hart at the trade deadline, and Emmanuel quickly just continues to grow so much in year three as a professional. You've got a bench that typically is handling other teams' second units, and you've got Jalen Brunson, who has exceeded all expectations, and Julius Randle obviously back to all-star form. And so say what you will about Coach Tom Thibodeau, but he's got guys that are willing to get in the gym, willing to trust him, um, and it's working. It's working really, really well. The Knicks defense is very, very formidable. I don't think teams want to see them coming because they're physical. Um, and Jalen Brunson, I call him lavender and eucalyptus. He's just soothing and steadying for this Knicks squad, although the win against the Knicks the other night minus Jalen and an Emmanuel quickly game um, was a big, big show of growth, in my opinion. We got to admit, there's definitely a correlation between us using Bing Bong and it no, no longer being cool in New York to use Bing Bong. Uh, Emmanuel, quickly, I want to ask you about, because one of the more like meteor, meteoric rises ever in terms of the award market, six man of the year, he's now the favorite after being like 200 to one, like a couple weeks ago. How has he made such a sudden impact for the New York Knicks? Well, see, here's the thing. It's sudden because we had that double OT outburst in 55 minutes on national television. But it's really not sudden if you've been following this team as I've been fortunate to do. He's grown so much this year, and I think he's benefited a lot from the addition of Jalen Brunson. The game has slowed down for him. He's much better about picking his spots. But all of it really hinges on defense. I believe, and I need to check the stat that has been updated, but he's like top three in the league in terms of on-ball defense. And so he told us at the beginning of the year that he was going to take a ton of pride in that, and that is the way to Tibbs' his heart. So that earned him this trust and the significant uptake, uptick, I should say, in minutes, and he's absolutely capitalized on them. He's found his three ball more consistently this season. We were struggling with some home road splits earlier in this year, but he's found his rhythm. Um, he's up to, I believe, close to 30 minutes a game now, and he's capitalized on all those minutes. He can obviously run with the first unit. He's been terrific when he's had to start in Jalen's absence, and he's terrific off the bench with that second unit. So, I just, quietly, I wouldn't necessarily call quick glue, but his game is pliable in that way that he's able to fill whatever hole needs to be plugged. Uh, it's, it's possible that uh, two award winners come from the New York Knicks with Jalen Brunson also in the running for the most improved, and we know the New York media might help those two maybe break a tie if there is one. Uh, let's go to the Boston Celtics, who have hit a bit of a bump in the road here, three consecutive losses to postseason teams, including the New York Knicks, couple ugly meltdowns along the way. Is this just a blip on the radar or is there something to be concerned about it when it comes to the Boston Celtics? Well, I think uh, free throws obviously stick out in that Cavs matchup. Um, I'm not overly concerned. I think we saw um, some room for growth in terms of Joe Missoula, use of, use of timeouts and such. 
But ultimately, this is a team that's still trying to get healthy. And I think we're just kind of hitting the dog days of, of the season in terms of a team that's been sitting comfortably at the top. And so the margin is starting to close, which, which to me represents the reality of this Eastern Conference, right? Like, yes, they've been a great team, but they're not necessarily head and shoulders away. Although I do think there's some distance between Boston and Milwaukee, but we saw Milwaukee get dropped by Philly over the weekend. So I'm not overly concerned. I think they've got to get back to health and totality. Um, and they're going to have to do some film sessions with late-game decision-makers, in particular in the clutch as of late. So the Toronto Raptors fit somewhere in the Eastern Conference equation, a few rungs certainly below the Celtics, a few rungs certainly below the New York Knicks. Uh, but they played about 45, 46 minutes of really good basketball the other night against the Denver Nuggets. Can they make something of the season? Obviously, a lot of factors go into this, you know, the, the, their start, incomplete team, unhealthy team. But now they have the full complement of players, and they added Jakob Pertl. They were buyers at the trade deadline. Where, what do you think the ceiling is for this Raptors team? Can they make something of this season after all? I'm not with you guys on the beat, Justin, but I know when we came up to New York, I was talking with Kayla Gray um, and Mark, not Mark Jones, Paul Jones a little bit. And I was like, y'all going to figure it out? Like, y'all have the talent to figure it out. And I know locally there was a little down on the squad prior to the trade deadline. But to me, this is a squad that still has a few pieces on it that understand what it takes to win a title in totality. Experience matters. They've got a rack of NBA prototypes in terms of their size, length, and their ability to defend. Like, you just kind of got to get hot at the right time. The play-in is not an ideal scenario, but it's still a pathway in. Um, And so I'm not sure what you guys believe to be sort of the goal, but is that a team that I think could cause a little bit of confusion? Yes. We've seen here in New York that they're a tough matchup for the Knicks. We often wonder what the goal is as well. Um, Post-trade deadline, the goal is to to try to just win as many games as possible. And uh, you're going to see Raptors and Clippers tonight. And uh, the Clippers, you know, with the, the Rust experiment, have they found some some sustainability possibly? Has the dust settled? And, and what are their goals here down the stretch as well? Well, the Clippers, obviously, we knew the goal was to win a championship. That's the whole reason Paul George and Kawhi Leonard have aligned and Ty Lue continues to get tons of praise. I don't know what they're doing because they're still flopping around, and I thought by this point they would at least be starting to turn a corner a little bit more consistently. Uh, Perhaps you're excited to see Kawhi Leonard on the floor, but they're going to need to be better in the clutch. Um, This was a team that going into the season, everybody's like, you know, you could pick the Clippers, and nobody looked at you crazy. But time on the floor and continuity is going to matter. The easy scapegoat, obviously, has been the addition of Russell Westbrook. I think they've won one game and lost four since he's gone into the starting lineup. I don't necessarily buy that in terms of the reason why. But the bottom line is it's time for them to turn the corner because we are April 9th is the end of the regular season. Like, what's up? Y'all going to be ready or not? We're chatting with ESPN's Mona McNutt, uh, who will be on the NBA countdown panel for Raptors Clippers tonight. Uh, The biggest move of the trade deadline, of course, was Kevin Durant heading to the Phoenix Suns. What sort of transformative move is that? Have we seen it on the court so far? What does Kevin Durant mean to the title hopes for the Phoenix Suns? 
she boosts them. I don't know what Vegas has, but I'm not yelling at anybody that has them as a favorite <laughs> coming out of the West. I do have some questions, and I do wonder if the overall continuity and familiarity that the Nuggets have, they've been doing this thing well for a long time, uh, if that gives them an edge. But literally, the Phoenix Suns could be like three passes and great offense. We saw it the other day versus Dallas. Chris Paul brings the ball up, swings to Katie, swings back to Book, and then three-pointer three available in the corner for insert role player here or somebody's dropping and DeAndre Ayton is available. So they put a ton of pressure on defenses. Um, I'm kind of the mindset that we're going to see a shootout in terms of this Western Conference playoff situation anyway. But Phoenix is built, I think, at least with that first unit, to get some stops. Obviously, there's questions around their depth. Um, and I know folks don't necessarily think KD and Devin Booker will shoot 60% combined throughout the run to a Western Conference Finals or a Finals even. But I'm like, why not? Give them a whirl. See what happens. Uh, we're with Monica McNutt, ESPN basketball analyst. Now, um, this week, lots of difficult news coming out from the, the Grizzlies, including John Morant's time away from the team. Now, pretty unprecedented in terms of a situation like this happening um, in terms of, uh, especially with a young star like this, what do you anticipate the Grizzlies doing next? Or, or I guess in a similar vein, what should they be doing and how they handled the situation with John Morant? They should prioritize his life. And if there's an issue, I'm not sure. I mean, the statement he put out left me with a few more questions that I don't have answers to, but they should prioritize his life and his well-being in that basketball. He's a young man that they can build around for years, but they need to get this right. And so uh, Brian Winhorst, my colleague, reported on his pod that there was a little bit of a disconnect in terms of his social life and his professional life, and he presented the idea that this now is an opportunity for everybody to get on the same page without it being tension between the two sides. And so I hope that that is that happens. This is really unprecedented territory guys. So I'm not sure what to expect, but I think the priority needs to be John's life, mental health, his wellness, his ability to make decisions um, far more than it needs to be basketball this season. Yeah, certainly agree. I think it, it's great to put the player first and as long as that takes and, and then take that time and let him uh, get well. And then hopefully that's the process that they've decided on behind the scenes. I feel like it's one of those things we won't hear much about, but hopefully the end result is a major success for everyone and the organization uh, moving forward. Okay, a couple more for you here, Monica. Um, I have become quite fond of the beam team in Sacramento. I've just thought that they've been, a, you could tell I like the little cliches. I like the I like the beam team. I like Bing Bong. I just think it's fun when a, a team has a little personality. Um, but the Kings have been just impressing, I think, all season long now. They're right nipping at the heels um, in the Western Conference. What's worked so well for them this season to, to be in this position that they're at? And do they have a real legitimate chance for making any noise here, or am I just blinded by the beam a bit? Um, I Typically, young teams do sort of struggle in the postseason, but why not? Like, I I thought the Kings, I'm insulted that prior to the LeBron injury, everybody's like, oh, the Lakers want 60 so they can play the Kings. Like, bring it. Let's go. This, this squad is not no fluke. <laughs> um, I think my ground should be our coach of the year in the league easily. Um, De'Aaron Fox, the bonus herder, like Davion Mitchell, my good friend is one of the front office guys for the Kings, and they've just been patient. I can remember the combination 
of Mitchell and Halliburton before the trade. And I was like, yo, dude, what y'all doing with all these guards? He's like, you know, you got folks that's going to play defense. We're going to work it out. And, of course, everybody was looking so quizzically at this group last year with the trade of Tyrese Halliburton for DeMontis Bonas. But it has panned out. And so credit that front office for sort of staying the course and believing in their vision. And, of course, the players buying in. And I think Mike Brown's journey in totality, right, head coach, assistant coach, um, head coach with, in Cleveland, assistant coach obviously was Golden State, a program that doesn't do anything but win for the most part, has prepared him for this stage with this guy, with these guys, right? Like, I am so captivated by the journey of our leaders, and his journey really has poised him for this moment with these Phoenix, or excuse me, with these Sacramento Kings. All right, well, speaking of the Warriors, it's perfect time to ask you about Curry, who uh, re- returns over the weekend. Are they just right back in the mix? You know, they had to fight a couple battles there without him in the lineup. Um, a team that they might, that people might be quietly overlooking now to, you know, with that championship pedigree that can just turn it on and get hot when it matters. Um, smart people aren't completely overlooking. Their road record is concerning because you got to go on the road and you got to win. But. If you told me I'm banking on guys that have won four championships together and just did it last year in a West that is crowded and there's no real differentiator unless you're going with the Nuggets in terms of their standings, I don't think you're crazy. Well, there's going to be a lot of intrigue down the stretch here, Monica. appreciate you joining us. Enjoy today's uh, International Women's Day celebration. We're really glad we got a chance to, to catch up with you and to celebrate the work you're doing. And maybe we see you in Toronto in a couple months when the WNBA game hits uh, Scotiabank Arena here. Let us know. That, that would be fun. I'll keep you guys posted. As Monica McNutt, ESPN basketball analyst. And as we mentioned, we'll be on NBA Countdown for tonight's NBA and ESPN doubleheader, which culminates with Raptors Clippers in LA and the second straight year that ESPN's celebrating International Women's Day with a full slate of women's led programming. Lots to come on that. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm glad the Raptors get a little shine they on sure a do. special night. They never get anything. They huh. get Women's International Day. They do. They got a it's a big matchup too. Kawhi, That's come right. on. It's They're a good dogs one. tonight plus 135 on Some, the Sometimes line. ESPN needs a little bit of an excuse to put the Raptors on. Maybe it's Giannis, maybe it's Kawhi. There's got to be some other reason to rope mm-hmm. them in, but uh, I appreciate it nonetheless. Get the Raptors in there. Wasn't the last time they had that ESPN game the one where there was like a, a collective 10 points scored in the first half and it was just like a tire fire? That was Milwaukee too. Against right? the box here yeah. and everyone was so fired yes. up about being a ESPN night and it was like maybe the reason why hundreds of thousands of kids dropped out of basketball after watching that. <laughs> hundreds of thousands. <laughs> nice. Not a little bit of hyperbole there. It was uh, a, a tough start. It was. It was not a re- great representation of Raptors basketball. That wasn't a great time uh, during the season That's for the Raptors though. either. So it felt kind of appropriate, unfortunately. So Raps, dogs tonight, uh, plus 135 on the money line. Uh Clippers favored by three and a half points. Maybe that's where your wake and rake picks are coming for. We'll get to those at uh, 8.30. World Baseball Classic started late into last night slash today. Uh, my uh, Team Cuba already with a massive L. So <laughs> tough start for me with uh, a massive L. We've got. I don't know if you're banking on Cuba. Cuba's, yeah, Cuba's plucky. They got some good talent over there. But I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's. It's just a tough way to, to introduce. Cuba. The World Baseball Classic yeah, to my eyes. Yeah, you want to start up on the right foot. We did draft our. <laughs> we did draft our our teams last uh, yesterday during the wake and rake. If you missed it, we used that auto generator and just went 
pick by pick, just like we did with the World Cup, my team, the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Korea, and Cuba, and Justin, USA, Japan, Venezuela, and Mexico. Speaking of Japan, we're going to talk about Yusei Kikuchi, I think, a little bit in the wake and rake. Mm-hmm. Was he an option for Japan, a non-option? What, what's the, I like, Shohei Otani's over there? Was he just like, yeah, we don't, I don't think we need I Yusei. I did see some highlights of Shohei. Oh, maybe he turned it down. I'm it's not really good. sure. He's, yeah, I think <laughs> Shohei Otani's pretty good. But Yusei Kikuchi, pretty good, too. Let's just say Kikuchi yesterday, another performance with no hits in three innings, and Just I gotta tell you, quick, using he's the pitch clock, dynamite out there. I'm on the Kikuchi train, choo choo Kikuchi. Apparently, since he I'm showed up at Dunedin, it. he's he like introduced a new pitch into his arsenal. Like he's just he's electric. He's feeling himself out there in Dunedin. You see, he was like. He got a strikeout. He's pimping his walk back. Like he's yeah. got the look. He's got the beard, the goatee. Yeah. Like he's a, he's a new man. He is a new man. This off season was I, I, just prolific for him. I, I, I know people are like, uh, this is tongue in cheek, and people yes, are not, a little. I'm bit, not fully serious, everybody. So just pump the brakes. I'm just saying, like, it's a bigger deal than people say it is. Like everyone's kind of like, ah, the no, fifth I'm starter, like whatever. Legitimately excited. The for difference him. between winning the AL East and not. Could be Yusei Kikuchi being like mm-hmm. really, not really good, but good. Good as a fifth starter. Good. If he's a good fifth starter, I know we might this come back to bite us. We're getting way ahead yeah, of ourselves. We only can take what Seven we can take. Pitched. But if he's good, if he's the reason, even close to why they wanted to sign him, if he can give you good contributions at the fifth starter, you don't have a black hole every fifth day. That's what that's what makes a division winner. If you have a good pitcher out there every single time out where you're not worried about, hey, who can we grab from the mm-hmm. bullpen? Who can emergency start? Who can come in for Kikuchi after he gets through a two-thirds of an inning? That's the stuff that doesn't allow you to win a division title. And if he's great, if he's good, they got a chance. They got a way better chance. Let me just give you the stats, and you can make your own feelings on it. He tossed another three innings no-hitter against the Pirates yesterday. He's yet to surrender a run and has struck out nine batters over seven innings this spring. That's all I got to say. He walked only three batters, three, three starts, which is we know the walk situation has been a bit iffy. Take that as you'd like. He's on the path to Grapefruit League MVP. He might be. Honestly, (laughs) (laughs) what are the odds on that? Pull up a book. Kikuchi Grapefruit League MVP, Cy Young of the Grapefruit. <laughs> maybe maybe slighted by the fact that the Japanese team was not interested. Maybe that's we'll the, have to get the, scoop on the that. chip on the shoulder. We'll I guess, yeah, I'm talking out of school a little bit, but he's not with Japan right now. He's on the mound in Florida, pitching well for the Blue Jays, which is all we can ask for. Baby steps, baby steps. Uh, I believe the Blue Jays are on later today. I'm just trying to, you can hear me. Ah, there we go. Blue Jays continue Grapefruit League schedule Wednesday as they host the Minnesota Twins in Dunedin at 1 p.m. on Sportsnet and streaming on sportsnet.ca slash 590 as well as the Sportsnet app. Of course, the Raptors are also continuing their West Coast swing, taking on the Clippers at 10 p.m. on Sportsnet 1. Maple Leafs last night uh, with a nice finish to a game that a lot of people needed those moments and they got him. Michael Bunting. Big moment. Austin Matthews, Ilya Samsonov, Mitch Marner, your buddy. 
Who's Camp. My, who's my buddy? <laughs> David Camp, of course. Pass of the century. Justin yeah. Hall pass of the century. There's a lot of really nice moments in a game. Let's break it all down with Haley Salvian, host of Hockey Central and Sportsnet 960, the fan and the national hockey writer at The Athletic. After the break.